0: This is Daniel Minnick, your host for Truth Espresso, and this is yet another episode of Truth Espresso Express. Oh, let me make sure the mic is closer to my mouth there, if you can hear me better. Uh, this is Truth Espresso Express, um, the episodes that I record when I'm driving to work. And this one is going to be based on um, actually an interview. That I did for Quest for Truth. Uh, My brother and I were on Quest for Truth with Keith Heltzley, and we talked about our book, When the Watchtower Knocks, discussing an encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses. And we had a fun discussion there. That was the first time that my brother got to come in on one of these podcasts for the Christian podcast community. And yes, so I also would like to tell you to check out. Quest for Truth with Keith Helsley and Nathan Caldwell on the Christian Podcast Community. They run uh, several podcasts. They have um, a network of podcasts, uh, Keith does, such as Protectors of the Book. But yeah, they have their own little network that you can find at lifetruth.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes you can check out all they have to author offer and yes as a reminder and sometimes I forget to say it it's not out of self-centeredness that I forget I just honestly forget I need to write it down to remind myself uh, to mention that Truth Espresso is a member of the Christian podcast community and there are uh, many other about 40, if I remember correctly, other great podcasts to check out at the Christian Podcast Community, and sometimes you'll find yours truly as a guest on one of these podcasts. And I'm hoping to make my way to be a guest on more in the days ahead. And so back to our topic at hand, Jehovah's Witnesses, my brother and I got to be interviewed about our book and our encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses. We actually talked with Jehovah's, with a couple, an older couple, a pioneer minister couple about a week ago over Zoom and it's kind of unfortunate that they're not knocking on doors now, they're meeting over Zoom, and so we actually wanted to talk with them, but they were very averse to getting deep into anything, they didn't want to talk with anyone who had any knowledge of anything, and we weren't uh, antagonistic at all, we just told them, and we only wanted to ask questions and get answers, but they were uncomfortable if we, (laughs) by our questions, demonstrated that we had some knowledge of Jehovah's Witnesses, but as we told uh, Keith in uh, in the episode about our talk with them, uh, really, what do they expect? Who else is going to contact, make the effort to contact Jehovah's Witnesses from the literature that they're mailing out, if not uh, Christians who really want to talk with them? Um, You know, I don't know how many people are going to are are non-religious people are going to get some literature in the mail and then email them or and want to talk with them and be converted to Jehovah's Witnesses. But one thing that I prepared notes for in a discussion with them that never got to come up, and uh, what we did get to talk about, and if you once you listen to the episode. If it's available, I will provide a link to it in the notes for this episode, along with some other notes related to what I'm going to talk about. But I mentioned in, I talked about in that episode about the Jehovah's Witness um understanding of how Jesus died because they disagree with the mainstream understanding by Christians that Jesus died on a cross structure and they say that Jesus died on an upright pole or stake, uh, so there was no cross beam. Um, Jehovah's Witness pictures of Jesus, their depictions of him, always show him on a pole uh, with his arms, kind of his elbows bent, his arms and his hands above his head, uh, with one nail through his hands, attaching, with one hand on top of the other, uh, attaching his hands above his head to a pole. And yeah, that is not what Christians are used to seeing, but Jehovah's Witnesses want to make a big deal out of that. Um, And as we talked about in our interview, um, it's not technically a hill to die on. I, I mean, there's nothing intrinsic to the manner of impalement by which Jesus would shed his blood and die that in and of itself is necessary for his substitutionary atonement. Uh, But the only reason it becomes a point of contention with Jehovah's Witnesses is because they make it so. And, as I said, one of the reasons that they do so is to separate themselves from mainstream Christianity, make it an issue to try to convince uh, Christians that they're wrong so that they believe that Jehovah's Witnesses are the sole source of truth and then become a Jehovah's Witnesses Witness. It's one of those kind of gateway teachings that is not really necessary. But yeah, so I presented some evidence in our interview. There's, uh, I don't have the references in my head since we're driving. I'm driving to work, um, but I will just mention that there is in the Gospels several points to prove, lines of evidence that demonstrate that Jesus did die in a cross structure and not just a stake. There's one verse in the Gospels that mentions that. You know the malefactors, the criminals, the thieves. Um, there's one on his left hand and another one on his right hand. Um, there's also mention of the inscription. Remember, there's the the gospel accounts kind of show different components of the inscription, and you can put them together to get one longer one. Basically, this this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews would be the whole inscription but the gospel accounts mention it and there's at least one of the verses that says that the inscription was put above his head Um, if he were just on a stake wouldn't it have to be above his hands but it says it's above his head so that's another um, kind of angle of a line of evidence to show that he was on a cross structure and then you have the account with Thomas, where doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, um, you know, I forget the verse, if it was like 14 or something, John 20, where Thomas says, except I see in his hands the print of the nails... And, you know, thrust my hand into his side, you know, put my finger into the print of the nails, plural, I will not believe. So Thomas understood, and there's no reason to argue with Thomas that he misunderstood the event there, but... The print of the nails, plural, plural nails. The Jehovah's Witnesses show a single nail through both of his hands above his head on the pole, but the print of the nails, plural, would indicate that there's, you know, like a nail for each hand, which would also indicate a cross structure. So that's another angle of evidence. And then you also have in the next chapter in John, John chapter 21, where jesus is telling peter about peter asks jesus about what will happen to john you know because he recognizes john is the disciple whom jesus loved it mentions that he leaned on his chest during the the lord's supper there the last supper and so Peter is wondering, you know, because Jesus is preparing his disciples for their ministry, and Peter says, well, what will happen with this man? And Jesus says, well, if it were my will that he tarries till I come, what is that to you? Um, so, like, Peter, you know, remember I asked you, do you love me? Um, you know, if if it just so happened to be my will that he were to live until I come back, why should that matter to you? Um, And then Jesus tells Peter, he describes the way Peter's going to die to glorify him, and he says that when you are old, someone will um, lift you up and carry you, like dress you and carry you where you don't desire, but it says you will stretch forth your hands and you will be carried, Um, and then he says, This he said, signifying what death he would glorify God. And then he tells Peter, "Follow me." So that kind of indicates that, you know, Peter's death in some way is going to reflect Jesus' death. And uh, history reflects that that Peter was crucified. And so, if Peter stretched out his hands, then and and Jesus said, "Follow me." in this manner of death, and so therefore that's another indicator that Jesus possibly stretched his out his hands out on a cross beam. Yeah, and so I also mentioned early church evidence that indicates also that even the pagans recognize that Jesus died on a cross structure because you have um, a cave drawing from a pagan mocking christians worshiping jesus so that kind of is a one-two punch against jehovah's witnesses there because it shows a donkey on a cross structure with its arms stretched out and some drawing of a person and then the words say alexa manos worships god or worship you know Basically, worships his God. And so, not only does it show that the early Christians before Constantine, so this drawing dates, you know, at least about a hundred years before Constantine, if not more. Um, It shows that Christians worshipped Jesus as God. Now, of course, the pagans could have misunderstood that, but nevertheless, that does show that they recognized if Christians weren't very clear about how they treated Jesus, it seemed to them as worshipping God. Um, And then they also understood that the one whom they worship was put on a cross structure before Constantine. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses will say that the cross is a phallic pagan symbol. And, you know, they believe that they will teach that Constantine was the one who introduced it. Because, yes, Constantine is blamed for a lot of things being introduced into Christianity at the Council of Nicaea or later on during his reign, and that somehow he. He paganized Christianity. Now, Constantine did introduce, you know, what we could call Constantinianism and the, you know, kind of you have the rise of the church state construct, but Constantine didn't introduce the Trinity he didn't introduce the cross so they believe that Constantine introduced the cross via the T, the Tau as representing the god Tammuz from Mithraism but that's not true and early evidence demonstrates that as we've looked at the scriptural evidence. We looked at the um, historical cave drawing evidence, but also we have the early Christian papyri. You have, for example, P-45, P-66, and P-75. These were, before Constantine, these were uh, papyri, uh, you know, dating once again, about a hundred years before Constantine, that are uh, written in uncial, all the all capital Greek letters, and early Christians de- uh, developed what they called the nomina sacra, where you had words for God, Jesus, uh, even David sometimes, so holy words and names that were written in a in an abbreviated form, so. You might have the first and last letter, or first, middle, and last, depending on the length of the word. Usually, the often vowels were removed, and then you had a line over the top of it. So that was a convention that we don't quite understand why Christians developed it, but they did. But it, it often proves a lot of interesting things. So, the Nomen sacra, for instance, if you have Theos, you might have the Sigma, or the Theta and Sigma, and then a line over it, but Staros is the Greek word for, that we have translated cross, and Jehovah's Witnesses make a big deal out of that Greek word Staros, because they'll say, it just means an upright polar stake, and technically that's true, at least originally that's what that word meant, that's what it technically, means but words uh, and their connotations can change over time because that's the Greek word for any long large piece of wood like a log a stake a pole but a st- the Roman crucifixion used a staros. And so uh, you had the Greek, the verb starao, to mean to impale on this instrument. But um, how were people fastened to it? Roman antiqu- the, the work Roman Antiquities demonstrates that um, a criminal could be marched through the street in humility and whipped along the way and have uh, what's called a petibulum across his shoulders, his arms would be fastened to it as he carries it, as he's whipped, and then he could be fastened to the staros. So, (laughs) staros had to do with, with the, yes, the upright polar stake, but... It was very likely, according to Evans, that Jesus had the petitbuum fastened to him. He was then fastened to the staros, so then you had um, the, the cross structure. And the early Christian papyri, as I was mentioning, would have a, a nomina sacra, an abbreviated form of the word staros. So you had the STS, <laughs> um, sigma t- t- STRS, sigma tau rho sigma, abbreviating staros as this nomina sacra. And uh, so the line over it, but then these early papyri would transfix, they'd create a ligature where the tau and the rho were fastened together as one character, and the rho which looked like a capital P, would extend above the Tau to look like Jesus's draped head. And then, of course, the Tau, you have the cross beam. So it would look like uh, a human figure, a head, uh, attached to a cross structure. And this is how they would write the word staros. (laughs) So, what's unique about this is that this does, ironically, against the claims of Jehovah's Witnesses, demonstrate that the staros was understood to include the, the cross beam in early papyri before Constantine introduced, allegedly introduced, the god Tammuz and the cross symbol as a pagan symbol for Christianity now i want to mention something that i didn't mention in the interview with keith with my brother john there also um (laughs) so computers so most computers will also have this symbol on it well and you might say well where is that well it's in the unicode it's in versions of the unicode character set so depending on what kind of computer you have, if you have a character map or a character chart that shows Unicode, if you were to go to the Coptic block of characters, then you could see two specific characters there. One of the characters has this Um, tau rho (laughs) ligature that shows the t and the p or r you know uh, transfixed and it and it comes from you know this early ligature of a papyri and then so you have that tau rho structure and then you have also one that is the full word for staros so you have a sigma tau rho sigma there (laughs) In the unicode for the Coptic block, that's the word for staros from uh, Christianity there. So, sigma, tau, rho, sigma, with that ligature of the tau and the rho showing that Jesus died on a cross, and that was the word staros. So, sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, your argument cannot hold water. (laughs) Jesus did die on a cross, and yes, I did say that the instrument really isn't that big of a deal, technically speaking. But when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses, it does become a big deal. And you don't have to throw away your crosses or whatever, thinking that they're phallic symbols. Now, don't worship them or burn incense to them or think treat them like... um Trinkets that bring about blessings or, you know, the power of God is wielded through them, but they can be symbols to recognize the true instrument upon which Jesus was impaled. And now I've just parked at work and so... I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso. I will put links to um, the Unicode um, and other things, the papyri showing the, this staros with the starogram, the the, t, the tau and the rho there, as evidence that Jesus died on a cross. And a link to um, the episode where my brother John and I were interviewed to talk about our book and our discussion with a Jehovah's Witness couple. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and Truth Espresso Express. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day.